Hello, oh. everybody. <laughs> I just realized I should have the synopsis. I like how as I go for it. I know. I thought I had time because you hadn't started speaking no, yet. It's funny. It was funny more than anything. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 54. The podcast where I seriously, it's, it's been... Uh, six hours and i cannot stop laughing <laughs> about the, i cannot stop laughing over the intro scene to this where they blow a very strong lock off a very weak wooden door <laughs> it's not even a door it's an open cage i know it's a pen made out of very small logs held together with fucking twine with this ornate <laughs> gold lock on it for some reason that they didn't have a big show of them blowing off with like c4 or something why you have knives and that again is held together by fucking string <laughs> i can tell you why the for some reason for the elaborate lock is because they're gold it's funny this episode is really really good but that the, the entire sequence of events that plays out before the opening credits is, is insane garbage <laughs> it is a flaming pile of shit and i mean that in all of the forms i mean it in terms of its setup the fact that they don't have any yeah there's no setup it's like wait did i miss an episode i literally paused twice throughout this thing because i was so sure somehow we had skipped an episode because i was nope. like what the fuck backstory am i missing here what? But yeah, uh, all that lead up and all I can do though is laugh. I'm not even that mad because all I could do was continue to laugh over all of that slow motion about <laughs> the stupid metal lock on the wooden door. I think they felt like they had to do the first five minutes of this episode because of what the rest of this episode is. Yeah, and if you give too much information, then you open up holes or potential for holes. I, I yeah. get that. No, you're, you're not wrong. It definitely still could have been done better, but... I get where they were coming from yeah. with what they did here. I get that they needed to build uh, momentum. They needed there to be an outside threat that was also uh, a ticking clock kind of thing. You know, I get it. It's, it's just, just, it's really it, funny it how just... a, such a good episode is set up so lousy. It'd be so nice if, if they'd just, like, taken... 30 seconds out of the previous episode <laughs> to have the tiniest of a cliffhanger Something. of like as the episode is closing yeah. be like we just got a message from, from... Kasuf. Something. Yeah. Anything. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Like I said I paused twice. The first time was because I knew I had missed an episode. Second time was to go back to the previous episode and make sure there wasn't some like last second credits thing that I hadn't seen. Because <laughs> I was like seriously what nope. the fuck? Like what did I miss? Turns out nothing. The writers just hate us. Writer. It's one writer and actually I'll use that as a perfect uh, segue into the uh, writer for this episode is Jonathan Glasner. Wait. Not. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I was here's the thing. I watched two episodes today. Uh, I was thinking of the episode after that, which is written by a different <laughs> yeah. person. So yeah, never yeah. mind. Glasner. Glasner wrote this one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say here's. I have two thoughts on this. A. We've already kind of pinned down that between him and Brad Wright, he's the weaker of the two writers. But B. I would honestly say this is his best episode no it is he figured out how exactly. to do it if you he make it made up strength yeah if mm -hmm. you just make it up yourself 
then you get to make up the rules, and therefore it's not horseshit. That's exactly. how you do it in sci-fi. It's, that's why sci-fi, I think, gets lumped together with fantasy, is because much like in a magic system in fantasy, you make it up so you get to create the rules and what doesn't mm-hmm. break the rules. So, same idea with sci-fi here. And this is how you should do it, because this way you're not taking yeah. any real-life ideals and, you know, fucking them up. Yeah, that's the thing. Jonathan Glasner's weakest points have always been when he tries to talk about regular Yeah, he Earth tries to science. incorporate real-world yeah. shit, and it's like, stop it. Yeah, I genuinely think, like, for his solo episodes that he's solo written, this is his best one to I would date. agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think it's honestly, outside of the nonsense first three four minutes of this episode i think this episode is masterfully constructed yeah it's funny i actually i don't even hate the wrap-up i actually like the wrap-up and that's not really a wrap-up so much i just think an the ending. wrap-up is so good honestly i think the wrap-up puts the pin on yeah. how well that this episode is crafted i'm on i'm genuinely impressed like this is um so we've said before honestly you know Robert C. Cooper's probably my favorite writer so far, although Heather E. Ash is definitely gunning for good. it with her one episode that we've had so far. I really loved the like the approach she took to writing yeah. episodes. The way Jonathan Glasner wrote this episode is my entire jam. This is how I write. That when I write, this is the kind of stuff I go for. This is exactly the things I like to do. You know, you've you've uh, I read your been... stuff. Yeah, I love to thread things in that, like, they they fit narratively and they, they don't, like, stick out when you're reading them, but they don't seem to mean anything when you're first reading them, and it's only when you come back later that they mean something. Uh, the unreliable narrator. Yeah, the garden path kind of thing. Exactly. I'm a sucker for that kind of writing, and I'm I'm genuinely astonished and impressed by the fact that Glasner is the one who wrote this episode, because this is exactly my jam. I was just surprised to hear it because my biggest complaint about this episode has not been something I've attributed to him, but now I'm going to have to make a mental note about it to see if this becomes a repeated issue. But Jesus Christ. Oh, my elk Jesus. This man has a love affair with slow motion. Oh, my God. In a word or two. I never know if dashed words count as one word or two words, but in a word, slow motion. Because, dear Lord, there's too much in this. I'm going to use that as a transition to say, I mean, we don't know how much of that is on him and how much of that is unfortunately on uh, your fave here. Peter DeLuise, the director of this episode. <gasps> that's right. Slow motion is more of a camera choice, isn't it? Yes, that's a director thing. I mean, there's definitely instances where a writer would be like, I want this to be right, slow like or whatever. Dramatic tension. But ultimately, the way that slow motion shows up on the screen. Peter, my man, come <laughs> on. You know, instead of wasting so much time on slow motion, you could have given us two extra minutes in the beginning that explained what the fuck was happening. <laughs> right? Yeah, we there was so much slow motion, you could have had two extra minutes if you'd taken it out. Especially since how many times do they flash back to him looking at Aminette while she's face palming him? How many times do they flash back to the same fucking shot in slow motion? You could just obliterate half yeah. of that and clean up at least two, at least a minute, I think, of, of runtime. Yeah, again, I think it comes down to what the rest of this episode is. They were trying to find drama in whatever little pieces they could, and to stretch that out, they did. I think they confused confusion for drama. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. uh, Listen, 
ultimately, like, the rest of this episode is, is so amazing. good. I don't yeah. care. No, seriously, they made me forgive them for it pretty dang Yeah, quick, right? Which was impressive because I spent a good eight minutes, I think, into this after the credits ran where I was just like, seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> what is even happening? And you and I are on record in this podcast for kind of judging the show for when they rely on slow-mo. Oh, yeah. I judge everybody for slow motion. Slow motion? Yeah. Unless you're watching the slow-mo guys on YouTube, no one needs to have this much fascination with it. It has its <laughs> place, but it does not need to be your fallback. No. For everything. And I get it. Pyrotechnics and other stunts and that kind of shit is expensive. You know what's not expensive? Slowing down the footage. I understand where yeah, they're coming yeah, yeah. from, especially when, like, let's say their in-block thing for the script says dramatic tension. And mm -hmm. if your options, I know these I know these aren't the only two options for dramatic tension, but let's say your two <laughs> options are explosions or slow-mo. You're going to go with, I mean, unless you're doing an Aquaman movie, you're going to go with slow motion over explosions. If you're doing Aquaman, you're going to go for only explosions, but... Yeah, and really poorly framed ones at yeah, that. Yeah, but here here and I would have really, liked a bit more balance. A really bad wig. Ooh, yeah. really bad wig. <sighs> it's funny. It's really funny. It's, it's weirdly ironic to me that in the Aquaman movie, the wig isn't on Jason Momoa. It's on Amber Heard. Because all I ever think about when I see Jason Momoa is that $10,000 dread wig for Stargate yeah. Atlantis. It also looks worse in the Aquaman movie than it does in the Justice League movie. Mel, I want you to know, I'm going to even try to leave this in the episode. Because I don't think this should be deleted. I think my, I think my shame should... I just now realized I have never combed the Aquaman movie for Stargate Atlantis jokes. I haven't either, but I haven't seen it. I have, so. like, three times, because I love <laughs> oh, Jason no. Momoa. If I do ever watch it, it will be for Jason Momoa. But yeah, um, so the episode we are covering for today is Season 3, Episode 10, Forever in a Day. The good news is, this episode wasn't so shitty that I'd have to make a joke about how it felt like forever watching it. No, it's... Ugh, I love this episode. This has always been one of those... Like, we've been... As soon as I saw it was coming up, we've been talking about, ooh, Forever in a Day is Ooh, coming. coming, Forever in a Day is coming. I don't want to start talking about it because it's such a good episode. <laughs> and it's not even just because it's got, like, a big plot important thing right. in it. But, like, it's it's just because it's a good episode. This show is not the only show that does it, and I don't think they're particularly evil for doing it. I think it uh -huh. is a case of, once again, people don't think to start off more shows with an equal number of women to men yeah. ratios and naturally i actually had thoughts on this right. so i'm right I, yeah so you probably know where i'm going with this but so like a naturally sgu the first one to really address that got canceled because they had a much more even of ratio course. and had storylines to prove it so naturally mm -hmm. it only made it two years feels just ironic sometimes it's it's ironic how uh women can watch movies and tv shows with male protagonists but men can't do the same for female protagonists like how toys are us didn't think to order a bunch of Ray action figures when Force Awakens came out because they didn't think anybody would care about a female protagonist. And then they were drastically underordered in time because, oh yeah, they're idiots. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. People just don't take women seriously. That no. being said, because of that, the show was another example. That's why I'm trying really hard not to vilify the show here because it isn't being malicious in this. It's just it wasn't composed no. from the start with the movie in mind. It wasn't composed... 
to be a gender equal kind of show. Therefore, the fact that this is just another case of basically fridging a character. See, this is actually, okay, this is actually where I want to talk because, so, I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on pretty much everything here. It is unfortunate, and it, unfortunately, it's, it's a sign of the times, and it's still happening now. It fits the genre, unfortunately, everything. Like, it's not, and again, neither of us are vilifying it. They didn't do it maliciously, blah, blah, blah. However, I would actually argue that this is almost anti-fridging okay because like fridging anti-fridging isn't the right word but i genuinely was thinking about this even before i started watching this episode because i was thinking oh, unfortunately they're fridging shade and then i was like right. actually fridging is where you kill off typically a woman yep uh, an important woman charlie in a man's life <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh typically a woman in a man's life in order to progress their storyline or their emotional maturity or something along those lines here's the thing at the end of this episode almost nothing has changed for daniel instead of looking for shade he's now looking for the child but he's still working for the same group there's a little bit of tension with teal that's going to work its way out eventually but like there's no big change that happens with Daniel because of the fact that he goes through it in this episode. So that's kind of what I was going to get to as well, that it kind of falls into an adjacent square. It avoids the the trope, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because the adjacent square is is that while it may not be like your typical fridging and it's not used in nearly as an egregious fashion and it's not just, you know, frivolous with her life, okay, or as frivolous with her life as it could be. As frivolous, yeah. And one could even argue this was probably a storyline that was gonna come to this kind of conclusion Yeah. way because that's how these dark storylines tend to and mm-hmm. so on i get all of that that's why it's in a less egregious square where it's yes, still yes. it's still bad because it unfortunately mm-hmm. still uses women as always yeah and that's the problem I, and there's really no and anything else no. there because that's just the assessment there is which is it's not fridging but it's still using a character that's in a vulnerable state to create emotional tension for a main character who just so happens to be a man because of yeah. course <laughs> Yeah, of course. And that's the thing is we need less of these of courses. Yeah, if you yeah. if you were able to eliminate the of course, this wouldn't be a problem. And that's how you know no. it's not terrible writing. That's how you know it just fell into this. And I say on accident lightly here because, again, it's not on accident because it's still a systemic problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's, it's, it is it's more it accidental. Wasn't malicious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's more accidental in that it wasn't the goal they had in mind from the beginning, which was this is a man's show for men mm-hmm. about men, and women are literally only going to be tools. It was, oh, there's a woman. Let's use her. Because they don't think about why they want to use her. Yeah. It's still not great, obviously. I'm not making excuses for it. Yeah, no, no. But it, if I had to choose an evil. Well, I'd be watching Stargate and not talking about the other evil. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like I'd much rather watch Forever and a Day, because Forever and a Day is a very good episode, than read the comic that originated the fridging term. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically my thing is like, I'll watch this and I'll be like mildly disappointed that this is another version of this, which is why if I were like a critic, this were like my actual paid job to do, I'd be giving this show, this episode, like a 94. (laughs) because it's actually okay that's a lie i'd be giving like an 84 because fuck that opening but the other like i'd I'd say at least if you took out the opening it's a 94 (laughs) at least 
eight to nine percent of that minimum is dedicated solely to the did we really have to do this again gentlemen yeah but that's again only eight or nine percent which is better than Mm -hmm. it could be yeah absolutely i i did yeah i genuinely i i'm glad that you brought that up because i genuinely before i even watched this episode i was thinking about how it's not fridging in the typical sense. I've started rating shows on a 1 to 10 scale for toxicity. And toxicity doesn't have to be like <laughs> male toxicity. It doesn't have to be any specific no. kind of toxicity. So yeah, this episode wasn't actually that toxic. No. I was expecting Mm-mm. more kind of going into it knowing this was the outcome. Considering the premise, yeah. yeah. Like I With, knew this was going to be using this... her to make his storyline better. Yeah, I think if you presented the bare bones of the premise of this episode, which I'm about to do when I read the synopsis, um, I think a lot of people just hearing it would expect worse. Worse, yeah. So than what we get. High praise that an episode isn't terribly toxic, but whatever. We live yeah. in that climate. What do you want from me? We live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> You set me up for it. I had to. <laughs> uh, I have such a love-hate relationship with that because Joker never actually says that. So part yeah, of I me know. is like, whenever somebody loses their mind about that, I'm like, that's like people who yeah. like want to sell Nirvana songs for a big profit. I'm like, I don't feel like Nirvana would have liked that. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have. All right. All right. So let's uh, let's do this shit. Let's stop getting off on tangents. <laughs> I'm gonna read. So here is the official synopsis for this episode. I don't wanna. During a rescue of captured Abedonians, Daniel finds his missing wife, Shade, but instead of greeting him, she attacks him, leading to her death at the hands of Teal'c. Distraught over her death and angry at Teal'c, Daniel quits Stargate Command. I mean, it doesn't end terribly. I will say, it's it's a clunky, um, it's a dull, clunky synopsis. But considering the skill levels we've seen of the synopsis writers, um, for an episode as complicated as this one, I could have seen a lot worse. I could have read a lot worse. I would believe that a high schooler wrote this one versus the fifth graders we're usually thinking right now. Yeah. A high schooler who forgot to write it until class started and was like, shit, 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 and just quickly scribbled something out before class actually started. But still, so, a high so, so me in high school. So that's the entirety of my yeah. high school career. My teachers did not enjoy my presence in high school, and there's probably a reason for that. I mean, I said it because I, I had personal experience. Yep, <laughs> All right. So let's uh, get into actually talking about this episode instead of just saying how much we like it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as you hinted at before, the opening is just a hot mess. Um, oh. It's SG-1 comes in to rescue the Abedonians who have been taken captive by Aminette and a whole bunch of Jaffa. A whole bunch of Jaffa. At first, it's only like five or six. And then suddenly, there's an army coming down the hill. There is no point in asking any questions. As to how the Abedonians got here, what planet they're on, why they're on this planet, why they're in a shitty rickety pen. There are no answers. How Kasuf got the message to them? Okay, at one point I thought they must be on Abydos because maybe he had like a radio with him and that means that he was able to get to his stash radio at some Abydos. point. I know. No, all no. the and then, then they prove later it's not on Abydos. So that's how I know it wasn't true. But for a little bit I was like, it has to be because it's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense as to how he got the cry for help out. But then they prove later it's not on Abydos and I'm like, what the fuck happened? I don't know. 
Yeah, here's the thing. They, so they do a little bit of Rush narrative to give us something, but all they give us in the Rush narrative is that Kasuf somehow sent a message to Daniel about them being taken. I, I honestly I think it, it would have been better if they hadn't told us that because this is what right? makes it so much worse for me. Up until then, I just had <laughs> some questions. That created a million just more. Just show them rescuing the Abedonians from yeah, the Yeah, if pen. you're going to be this <laughs> bad about it, you might as well just go full throttle, you know? Just don't, just go full commitment to the not going to mm-hmm. explain anything route. Because if you're going to do this half-ass job, this wasn't even a half-ass job. This was a quarter-ass job. Yeah, so the team get the Abedonians out of the flimsy wooden cage with a very big lock on it. And Jack is immediately like, get back to the gate, we're all leaving. However, Daniel has seen his wife just lingering in the doorway of a tent. Well, Kasuf does say she she took the child, she took the child. That's like his, and that's what's got Daniel delayed long enough to... See his wife just standing in the doorway of the tent, waiting for him to notice her. Okay, I gotta, I gotta raise my hand here because I know why they didn't do this. Because once again, it's part of the setup. You can't give too much information in this setup for all the reasons. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's still silly and stupid because the fact that there's more than just SG-1 coming into attack and the fact that this opens with an attack tells me that they kind of had a plan of attack. Which suggests <laughs> to me that some recon was done. And well, yet, yeah, there's more than just SG-1 here. Yeah, so I love how shitty their recon must be because not only did they not identify that second wave of Jaffa that comes over the hill, but they no. did identify the fact that fucking Shaw Ray was there. No, it's bad. Like, it's so bad. I like how the only reason why that, that works is because, again, if they had done any of that, this episode doesn't happen. But no. it's like, that doesn't make it better, guys. It honestly would have worked better. The premise of this would have worked better if they just accidentally stumbled across this. And it wasn't a whole army of Jaffa. It was just like a retinue, a guard. That would have worked. Or you open with Kasuf having escaped. You have him escape. You and have showing up at SGC. Showing him, showing him up at SGC as the end of last episode. Or yes. as the cold mm-hmm. open to this one if you have to do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have... That be all the explanation you need. Because then yeah, when you all, see a yes. pen full of Abedonians, you know how to mm-hmm. connect the fucking dots. Yeah. They should have had that because that way you can have Kasuf in it. You can have him be the literal cry for help. And you provide literally any backstory that actually helps you figure out what the fuck is going down in this scene. <laughs> but they weren't interested in that for some reason. No, 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 no. Why would they do that? Uh, one thing I do love here is that, like, as soon as he sees, as soon as Daniel sees Shade, he's just like, Jack told me to do something, I didn't hear it. <laughs> and he just starts to head towards her. And that, that he starts like to Daniel. head towards her. Yeah. Uh, and a Jaffa walks, she, she walks back in and a Jaffa walks out and, like, aims at Daniel. And Daniel actually shows really good aim. Like, he's been on the gun range. I'm proud of the boy. Dude, and he does it with he, one hand, too, so that's pretty damn yeah. good. Yeah! He takes the guy out. Just perfect, like, body shots. Takes the guy out with his handgun. However, <laughs> a second Jaffa comes out, and then, in the span of time it takes for a couple of red shirts to die, Jack to have to take over the turret gun... Um, and faceplant man. Army of Jaffa. Yeah, yeah. And faceplant that was, man. That was me saying red shirt man yeah, died. Come on, faceplant um, man. He deserves a moment. Yes, he's important. <laughs> he's important. He. I hope he got a raise. Um, 
But yeah, a couple of red shirts to die, Jack to take over the turret gun, a whole army of Jaffa to start coming down the hill, uh, Sam grabs a bazooka, all the stuff's hap happening in the background. <laughs> Doggy. Sorry, Mortis is mad. Puppy. Trespasser. He is so fucking protective. Well, the good news is, that means you can never have a robber without you guys knowing. True. I love my notes to you, the texts. <laughs> oh my god, the faceplant. And then literally my next one. So much slow motion. <laughs> Daniel's forehead looks like Sokka's at the end of the Secret Tunnel episode. Oh my god. It kind of does. Uh, yes, that's so true. Oh my lord. Alright, so all of this stuff is happening. All of this. In that space of time, Daniel fumbles to the ground and struggles to reload his gun. <laughs> I do appreciate the moment of accuracy where they do a John Wick moment and actually count bullets. Yeah, no, I appreciated that, but it took him like 20 minutes to reload his gun. Yeah, his aim has improved, but his reloading skills have not. No! <laughs> I like to imagine that after this episode wraps up, Teal tells Jack what happened, because Teal was like in between the main army, and because Jack saw Daniel run off, it was like, Teal, Teal, cover him, retrieve. <laughs> retrieve our wayward scientist so teal was like halfway between daniel and the rest of sg1 so he probably saw this because he wound up having to shoot um the jaffa that was coming after that that daniel couldn't shoot because he was still reloading his gun <laughs> and i just like to imagine that teal told jack about it later and then jack took Daniel the gun range was like, you're not shooting this time. Now you're just going to practice reloading. <laughs> I have this image of like a background scene where like they're putting all their guns back into like the armory at SGC. And you see like Sam and Teal'c in the foreground talking about like a staff weapon. I can just see this all in my head. And, and he's like, yeah. he's going over like Jafar, like codes of like how like they would hold themselves like at uh -huh. ease or at attention yeah, or yeah. how they'd fire in different situations and they're having like a real conversation in the background all you see is jack just staring daniel down as he takes a magazine <laughs> in and out <laughs> yes oh my god Liz, can i tell you how much the Stargate franchise has missed out on having us as writers for the <laughs> right? show. Just for, like these tidbit <laughs> background scenes. <laughs> we don't even need to write a full episode, although I think between the two of us we could come up with some, with some great episodes. We would come episodes. up with some good shit, man. Yeah, but we don't even need to write full episodes. Just we would be there for continuity <laughs> and then the great background shit. But yeah, so I, I next life. I, I imagine that scene happened. It didn't get filmed, but, but it, it happened. happened. No, I need that. Yeah. I, I need that scene to have happened, and I can see it. It's like beyond headcanon at this point. I could just see Jack just staring him down, and literally Daniel's just kind of sighing as he just keeps popping the magazine out <laughs> and putting it back in and popping it out again. Listen, listen. This scene is now in the the category of headcanon where. It's true until, <laughs> until the, the writers creators tell us of the not. show tell me otherwise. I'm down for it. They have to explicitly tell me this never happened for me to stop believing it. It happened. Sounds like a good plan to me. Ultimately, the two Jaffa guards that Aminat had with her both get killed, and Daniel follows her into the tent. What was her plan there? Well, here's the thing. She was definitely posing for Daniel. Yeah, that's why I'm like, so like, without getting too much into the 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 final details of this episode, there is a plan in step with uh between right. Aminette Shade right. and Daniel here. Right. I don't know how much Aminette is involved because we have seen before 
um, in the the first episode with Haruur, the one where she gave birth to the child, that she's got some resistance right. to um, just going along with with Apophis entirely. Yeah, she's got some of her own decisions and her own thoughts, and and there does seem to be. Uh, I'm especially thinking of the end of the the first Haruur episode where she definitely saw SG One hiding behind the. Uh, the pillars and everything and did not say anything right. and i'm just wondering how much it because it absolutely felt like she was luring daniel in there yeah. for a purpose and i don't think it was specifically just to pettily kill this one human yeah so here's here's what i kind of figured uh when i say like what was her plan there i mostly mean like what was her plan if daniel hadn't fired back <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like i don't know what her plan was because I think she had a plan beyond him dying. Maybe she also had a hand healing device. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I guess what I, this is there's there's nothing to really promote this, and I'm not yeah. I'm not super sold on it. So I'm not like I'm not attached to it as a theory. But what I kind of figured was she had originally, you know, all all of what you said is true about her just having the reticence to begin with. But I think at this yeah. point in the timeline, I think the clock had started to run out on her, and she knew it. And I yeah. think part of her reticence was also that, for some reason, she had some connection to the kid. And I mean, for some reason, as in, I don't care if she's taken the body as a host, she doesn't get to claim that she carried that kid. <laughs> so, no. any of this bullshit that I've seen some creepy apologists go on about sometimes, where it's like, well, it's her child, too. And I'm like, I uh, no. Well, I do think it's important to note, I do think it's important to note on that, on that, you know, theme is that she specifically says that she hid the child from SG One and the system and wars. the system yeah. wars. So that's what I was getting to. Is I think at most what it is is let's say she had a passing affection for the kid. I think it might have been some sort of attachment in that she would like to not see him die. You know, like yeah. that's pretty much the best you can get out of her. And that for a go old is basically love. Um. It is. Right? That's, that's, that's love for right? And I think she definitely had to have had some sort of lingering loyalty to Apophis because they were partners. But Apophis is... Long dead. dead. Right. So I think, like dead. I said, so like the, the clock is run down. She knows she's on just the last legs here. I yeah. think she had that knowledge combined with the fact that she had a little, a little bit of a passing loyalty to Apophis and the Harcesis had been a big deal to him. And then on top of that, there was nothing else for her. Yeah. So I think when you put all that together, combined with the fact that Sharae, that is Sharae's kid. Yeah. In this particular situation, whatever the mother decides is entirely correct. Whether that yes. is to not continue the pregnancy, in some cases, in real life. Whether it is to give the child up for adoption, or whether it is to keep the child and raise it mm -hmm. as her 100%. own. Whatever that decision is, that is entirely up to her, and it is entirely correct whatever it is, <laughs> because it's yep. one she decided to make. It's just that simple. In this particular situation, I believe it appears to me that Sharae would have kept the child, would it have been given to her as an option. It seems like she cares. Yeah. At the very least, if not kept it herself, she would have seen it given to a, an appropriate loving family. It looks like she yes. has that sort of... I believe she would have kept yeah, it. That's, I, I kind of get that feel as well, but I can definitely see the other thing too, which is give it up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because sometimes right. that is the best right. option Sometimes the, the best thing for the kid is not having you as a parent because for some reason you're not, you're just not the parent. You can't handle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Having said all of that, I think all that combined with Aminette, and I think she was kind of working together with Share, not really working yeah. together so much as I think she knew what to do to allow Share to give the information across. I think she allowed the bridge to happen more than anything. I don't think she worked with her. I think she would believe also that if if the information had to go to anyone, Daniel exactly, was the right one. For exactly. It to go enemy to. of my enemy and all that. Yeah. And she knows that she can use the connection with Share to her advantage here. So yeah, yeah. whatever her motivations, she wanted the kids safe ish. And she wanted it to be Daniel that kept the kids safe. And that was yeah. something that Share also wanted. So I think this kind of worked out for her. And I think that's kind of what's implied by the scene, but it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. I, cause I could definitely see Aminette from the, the one episode with the harrower, um, introduction, uh, getting enough of an idea of Daniel to realize that if it came down to it, he would pick the child over SG1. So like, if you're going to give the information to anyone, he is probably the most reliable person to give it yeah. to. And again, whatever her motivations were for wanting to keep the kid intact, whether it's her love for it or not, whether it's loyalty for Apophis's plan or not, whatever it mm -hmm. was, he was still the best method aside from just putting yes, it into hiding, absolutely. period. So yeah. I, I, that was kind of the feel I got, which was that she was kind of, if not directly working with Share, it was at least a tangential, a tangential allowing of her to yeah. reuse her own body and be like, oh, I see your plan, but I'm not going to stop your plan because your plan totally yeah. fucking works for me. I believe that, especially since that seems to be a kind of theme between the two of them anyway. I'm totally down for that, but again, if you told me it was something else, or if the writers were to tell me actually it was this entirely opposite thing you were going for, provided they gave me a reason behind it. Yeah, as long as they gave me a good reason right. for it. But I think, um, since they don't, and they never do, uh, this is a, as good a way to settle on as any. Yeah, I don't feel like that's that wild of a theory, at the very least. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. So whatever her motivations, uh, she lures Daniel into the tent with her and uh, pretty much immediately starts hand devising him. Uh, she she tells him that she hid the Harcesis. Although, did she even use Harcesis yet? She, I, I don't. That's a later word, I don't isn't know. It? I, I think she says I the boy. I think she just says child. Or the child, yeah. yeah the boy. Something like that. Where the, the um, system lords can't find him. Yeah, where, the, where you and the system lords cannot find him. And then, she, and while he's trying to get Shade to come out, she starts hand devising him, and he immediately collapses to his knees because he's been hand deviced about twenty times now, <laughs> and it's probably a weak point for him. <laughs> Dude, this always reminds me of something I read, but it's a background thing for Supernatural, which was somebody said, "I just have to believe that every time Castiel has healed Sam and Dean." He's been automatically cleaning out their arteries, <laughs> fixing them up, and keeping For them- For all of their diner yes, food. Yes, exactly. But he's been regularly fixing up all the other shit as well. <laughs> to yeah, yeah, have to. Because otherwise, the fact that Sam has been hit in the head so many times would have had some consequences <laughs> oh, <no>. by now. <laughs> you mean that's not the explanation for his personality? <laughs> Your words, man. I wasn't going to say it. God, speaking of um. <laughs> That's gonna be our running joke. We gotta try and get in every episode.
It's going to be easy in any episode Daniel's right? in. Just to have a have him <laughs> say a line. Um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so. uh, although he's not that... He's not that in this one but he's having an emotional right. crisis yes, he's having a so crisis I get it. yeah but yeah so I, I i'm reminded of that joke line whatever yeah. every, every time i have scenes like this where it's like how has there not been any long-term repercussions they don't have a- literal angels <laughs> healing them and at this point they're at some point they're gonna stop being sarcophagist yeah well yeah because that's the thing um i think uh, i can't it's oh my memory for this i think I feel like this might be one of the most recent um, hand devices since he's last been yeah, sarcophagus. Yeah, I, I, I believe you are correct. It is also hard to keep track, but I'm so pretty sure. So he might sure. be reset from those for now. Ones. Yeah, but yeah. not from this one, obviously. Yeah, and, and I don't um, know when his next Tilco... sarcophagusing is. Or does it God, get reset uh... after he's deascended? Does that, does it... Oh, yeah, I would say after he ascends, yeah. it would get reset. Because he has a completely, he doesn't even remember shit. He's a new man. <laughs> and as he said in a convention video once, that uh, descending it was very cold. was filmed <laughs> in a very cold forest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that man is too funny. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I'm naked, and let's just say it was cold that day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, um... She's hand devicing him. He's trying to get through to Shaude. Uh It's not, doesn't seem to be working. Teal'c uh, bursts in and tries to like shout her down as well. Um, and, and then the slow motion gets really bad. I know why the effect yeah. is. I know they're going for a different def- effect. Like they're going literally for time slowing versus yeah. drama. Mm-hmm. But I'm... Mm-hmm. But we don't actually see what happens at this, this point. We just see the light from the hand device, like, get brighter and overtake the screen. And then we cut to the med bay at SGC, where Daniel is waking up. And he's clearly, uh, he's got the little forehead burn from the hand devices. Or, seriously, he looks like Sokka at the end of the Secret Tunnel episode. Guys, guys, <laughs> don't, don't freak out. But I think that kid over there... Might be the avatar. Is that the secret tunnel episode? Yeah, it's at the end of that. The cactus juice at the desert. No, there's another one where his um at the end of the secret tunnel episode where Katara comes up to him and she goes, "Why is your forehead all red?" And then the stupid guy comes over again and goes, "Guys, guys, don't freak out." But I think that kid over there oh, okay. might be the avatar. And then Sako just pauses for a second oh, and okay, smacks yes. himself in the forehead. <laughs> Here's the thing, you said that, and I thought you were saying Sokka was saying that, and I was like, what? That would have been the cactus juice episode. I just fucking love that scene because of the face bomb. Why is your forehead red? It's like, because this man's an idiot, and you left me with him. (laughs) Right? I just, I never get tired of that. But yeah, as soon as I saw Daniel's head in this, I just, all I thought of was, why is your forehead all red? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so he wakes up at the med bay. He's got, uh little red face from sunburn or hand devicing if it were me it'd be sunburn yeah uh well it's it's honestly it's the same kind of makeup effect they had on sam after she was stuck on that planet with the sun it's almost as if makeup department only has one kind of red makeup (laughs) 
Anywho, so he wakes up. Yeah, and everyone's, like, crowded around the bed, like, worried about him. Like, hey, wait, what do you remember? And he, he doesn't remember anything. He starts to slowly, you know, he goes, oh, Kasuf sent us a message about being, you know, being captive. We went to go see him. And then he starts to, like, fade out. And basically, what I like about this is, um, well, for one, one of the first things I like about this is a directing choice. When we see the camera from Daniel's point of view as he looks around the bed, when he pans over to Jack, Jack isn't looking at him. Jack is purposefully looking off to the side, and it's only when Daniel turns to look at him that Jack makes himself look at Daniel. And it's definitely because he's he's building himself up for the fact that Jack decides he has to be the one to tell Daniel Shade yeah, is, is dead. Yeah, because yeah. he's in charge of the team, and also, he's Daniel's closest friend. He has to be the one to tell Daniel. Husband, I'm sorry, but your wife is dead. <laughs> God. Um... And and D Daniel doesn't want to believe it. And, God, um, he does such a good <sighs> job throughout this entire thing. I even made a note at one point where it's like them being real life partners had to have made some of those scenes interesting. Probably, like yeah. The morgue mm -hmm. scene must have been interesting because he looks like his like oh. chin is quivering. But here, same kind of thing where his lip is like almost quivering. You can just like actually sense real emotion from him. I'm not saying that he would have had to have his real life girlfriend be fake dead for him to <laughs> feel the emotion. I think he's a good actor, period. Yeah. But I think it couldn't have hurt. It definitely helps, yeah. yeah. But they they tell they tell him that Teal'c was forced to shoot her because he was about to die. He doesn't want to believe it. Uh, he gets mad at Teal'c at one point. Like, you should have waited a little bit longer. I was getting through to her. And it's God, like... His denial, though. I've seen... Oh, yeah. So Here's good. the thing. I actually... I have, I pulled up the, uh, the, the phases of accepting death. What happens in this episode means Daniel only experiences about three of them. <laughs> and yet he gets to experience two funerals. This is like when somebody has a dream of showering and then wakes up and has to go shower. And then has to shower. <laughs> He he has the um the denial, he has the anger, and then he just goes straight into acceptance. I guess maybe what happens in this episode could be bargaining, but I'm gonna include the link. I don't care how old it is, I don't care how much people know it, I don't care how much they don't need me to, the, to provide the, the link, but the, the fucking giraffe is about. going in yes. here. Yes, yes, the giraffe is such a good episode. Dude, my my therapist, she hadn't heard of it. <gasps> Like, and we took a couple minutes out of therapy for her to like, watch this. Because I was like, no, you don't understand. This it's is important. important. This is important. <laughs> so she watched that. And she was literally in tears at the end because it was so funny. It's so funny. I, I lose it every it's time classic. at the anger. At the anger stage. Yes. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's, him, it's his long neck going <sighs> off into the distance as he's screaming out. Fuck. <laughs> I lose it me. at the very, very end. <laughs> Like, realizes he's stuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna include the link because 
It's the perfect uh, portrayal it's of the, the stages tr- of grief. It really is. I don't even like Robot Chicken, and yet that's one of the best things I've ever seen. It, yeah, I've I've never really watched it, but I have seen that one. Yeah, he he goes pretty quickly from like uh, denial to anger, <laughs> and even Fuck. then, he's, his anger because it's Daniel. It's like that muted cold anger. Oh yeah, no, he's terrifying in this episode. Actually, that's a lie. He's oh. not terrifying, but he is so coldly detached from everything uh-huh. like where he has no problem saying to his friends yeah bye yeah or where they're okay i'm gonna cut ahead a little bit here but there's a part where um where jack is like trying to convince daniel to come back he's like don't you miss sam and teal and daniel goes i miss, I miss sam, sam. <laughs> fucking cold hearted like, dude this has been your best friend for three years and he did i know you're angry and i know you're just using him as a convenient scapegoat but damn holy god ice would get freezer burn from you it's a flashback to that episode where he just coldly turned around and opened a machine gun on the tank of gold larva it's that daniel again (laughs) he wouldn't have been that little boy but every now and then i i see him and i understand that little boy from the movie ants with the magnifying glass Where it's like, oh, yeah, he wouldn't have those been that little, little sociopaths. You see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I don't see Daniel, but I can see an alternate universe Daniel being that kid <laughs> and growing into an adult Daniel who isn't that far off from this one. <laughs> yeah. I think if Daniel was less um, academically inclined, Honestly, maybe he'd yeah. be that kid. Yeah, because he would have had the magnifying glass, but instead of setting the ants on fire, he would have set the bush on fire first. And then once he realized it was like deadly fire... He would have connected the dots and not incinerated the ants because it wouldn't have had any purpose. Yeah, exactly. There's no purpose he to it. He already did the scientific part by, by frying a plant. That's Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he, 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 like, he doesn't want to believe it at first. Um, he says, like, yeah, but it's fine because the gold, they have a sarcophagus. They can, they can bring her back. Uh, but yeah, so, so you know, he, he does the denial. He's like, no, no, she can't be dead. Uh, and when they're like, no, you know, Teal had to shoot her. Uh, he's like, it's fine. They have a sarcophagus. They can bring her back. And they're like, no, we we defeated <laughs> no. them. There's no one to bring her she's back. And also, dead. we took her with us. Uh, so also, they can't. On, a, on a side note, she's in our fridge. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he has the denial stage, and then when everyone's being like, no, Danielle, she's not coming back. Uh, then he switches to the anger, although it's the cold kind of anger where he's you know turns on teal he's like you shouldn't have done it you should have waited longer and teal's very forthright about he's like i've seen these hand devices in action i know how much will kill someone a few seconds longer and you would have been dead the only person in that room who's more of an expert on hand devices than daniel being the guy who gets hand device the most yeah, exactly. I mean, arguably, you could say Sam thanks to Jolinar, but uh-uh. No, it's Teal. She's only used exactly. the hand device, well, like, twice. I mean, like, maybe, she like, the Tok'ra it. had, like, oh. memories of it or something like that. But even then, that'd be, like, fuzzy at best. Teal was literally first prime to Apophis. Yes. He has mm-hmm. seen that thing in action plenty. Absolutely. Now, Daniel has also seen it plenty from a different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> from a different perspective. But yeah, so they they eventually take him. They get him on a in a wheelchair and all escort him to go see her body in the morgue. And you already talked about how just, like, phenomenal his acting is in this scene where he's, you know, just looking at her and 
I finally know what it looks like to be in active denial while also having a forced realization yeah. all at the same time. Because it's you amazing. can literally see him struggling with both. It's like the left eye has one and the right eye, right eye has the other. And it's almost like they're crossing. But it's not. And it's all not comedic. It's all just good. And it takes mm-hmm. place over, like, what, 20, 25 seconds? And it's Yeah, it's great. not long. It's uh, truly Peter beautiful. Peter does a good job of outside yeah. of the uh, unnecessary and unfortunate slow-mo, not lingering too long on anything, but lingering just the right amount yeah. on other things, you know? Ever since uh, Helen McCrory died, I've been re-binging uh, Peaky Blinders, and it's just making me reappreciate all over again the all of the long takes that the show utilizes it's pretty much just that's on my that's on it's my great. Watch it's list. actually a really good show period but it's also one of those shows that takes it upon itself to do as many active long shots as it can <laughs> and i really well, appreciate if you've got it. good actors you should take advantage it, of and that. it's like in little things too like there's just this one shot where killian murphy is just going around a pub and it's just the camera takes place over all the conversations he has with people throughout his little walk. That's so and cool. And it's from a perspective in front of him, right? And then as he f- makes his end of his circuit, the camera kind of goes behind him. And then it starts going further away and starts panning away from him into the darkness. So all you see is the dark background silhouetting him. And you can see his back That's and the so light in front of him cool. of the bar and nothing Aww. else. And it's so well done. I'm looking done. forward to that now. And that's literally just like one I was already scene. intrigued in the setting and everything, but finding out that it's got that sort of good um, cinematography film, is just I'm, amazing. Yeah. So I'm not expecting the same thing from him, and he does he does great with what he has in his show with his format. Yes, absolutely. I'm not making direct comparisons there. That would be drastically unfair. No. But yeah, I. Uh, I don't get long takes as much from him, but I get subtle shit like this, where they at least yes. let the camera He's linger He's really long good enough. at the subtle lingering. Yeah. And he yeah. lets somebody just do a bunch while doing nothing. Any director who gives Christopher Judge an opportunity to just silently act at the camera, not saying anything, just reacting to something, is a good director. Hell Yes. Because Christopher Judge doesn't get enough opportunities to do the subtle shit no. like that. But yeah, so so there's an amazing scene yeah. with Michael Shanks showing his his skill. So uh, they after he has that moment with her, he's still he's mad at himself um, for failing to save her, but he's also mad at Teal'c. He he definitely one hundred percent is like. And out loud blaming Teal. Oh, yeah. Like, he's not hiding this. <laughs> well, because it's so um, easy to blame the guy who literally shot her. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying he's right to do it, but it's really easy to be like, hey, guess what? You shot her. I hate you. And Teal threads this great line where, like, he accepts the blame and he's like, I understand why you're upset with me and everything, but he also doesn't shy away from it. He's like, I would do it again to save you, you know? And But you can see he's also, like, hurt that... Because Daniel, at the, by this point, Daniel is his friend. Yeah, he was hoping his friend would support him in this. Yeah. Like, there was, I would say, at least the first half of season one, there was some tension between them because he was the one who took Shade in the first place. But you could see that by the time season three has come along, they are friends. Oh, yeah. And then now there's this this fissure between them and you can see that it hurts him and he keeps throughout this episode he keeps trying to reach out to daniel i do enjoy that daniel managed to get to work out his hostility in his head before (gasps) i love yeah let's okay 
We haven't gotten to the the shape of why this episode, why the entire reason I fucking love this episode as much as I do. Do we want to just, because it's going to be hard to talk about this without, do we want to just say what the premise of this is right away? So it has to do with the, so it has to do with the title. The title is very, um, cool. It's, it's very, an oblique reference. Yes, it's really good. So basically, we're going to have a lot of things happen in this episode. And actually, from the moment we saw the screen go really bright from the hand device, for Daniel woke up in the med bay from the the screen going bright from the hand device until the very end of the episode none of this actually happens this, this is all dream. things that Daniel is imagining it is Daniel's wizard of oz <laughs> and they do an amazing job of threading it to where like you keep going oh is this when he's awake oh no is this when he's awake and it turns out oh, well, he this never one, this one happened but this one did not happen but it's only, it is literally, because I, I love this episode, but even then, you know, you always forget tiny details right. of a thing if right. you haven't watched it in a couple of years. Even you were trying to figure out when was, he was awake. Exactly. I was going, oh, he's awake. Wait. And like, because there's a part where like, it's it's great. It made me think of Inception a little bit. There's a part in, uh, uh, a part in this episode where like Daniel walks into his apartment and Jack and Teal are just sitting in his apartment and he's like, why are you here? How did you get in here? And like Jack keeps like talking around it. And I'm like, this is such an inception clue of like trying to remember how you got here. This is a dream. Plus, I even love it. It's because he says, um, you're going to need a new lock, by the way. But then I immediately rewound and I watched Daniel turn the doorknob to get yeah. in. And I'm like, uh -huh. if the doorknob was broken, then how'd you get in? Because if, if the lock was exactly. broken, then the doorknob was broken or the door jam. Something was broken. You wouldn't have been able to just open that easily. It's Without such noticing. a delightfully constructed episode. This is exactly how I like to write things, where something it's else just is going so on. Wonderful, yeah. The first five minutes of the episode and the last two, two minutes, minutes of the episode yeah. are the only thing that actually happened in that linear. Everything yep. else in between is Daniel's brain being ribbon. A getting the information he needs to get from Aminet or Shoute, both of them. Yeah, how Getting the information you need to get from Aminette and Shade, and B, dealing with his grief before it's actually happened. Because all of this happens in his head, he had that bit where he, you know, was mean and 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 um, blamed Teal'c and, you know, lashed out at him and everything. Teal'c doesn't experience any of that. It's all in Daniel's head, and it's amazing. Like I said, I, I love that it he works out so... his hostility in his head. Yes, it's so good. But I, I gotta say, my favorite, my favorite thing about this that I, I started out thinking, oh, this is a mistake, and then I realized maybe it's not. Was I love the greatest proof of it all being a dream is after this is going a little ahead, but after certain events, yeah. I know the show has before totally not cared enough about talking about whose clearance gets revoked and when or gets approved and yeah. when but the greatest fucking proof that it's all a dream is there's a scene where daniel should not have access to sgc anymore and yet he's there and he just walks in without a visitor's pass because internally even as even as he's trying to escape from the sgc he doesn't consider himself to be an outsider well and that's the thing that like um this the way this episode is constructed it's a whole bunch of just like not really connected scenes like, it, it's kind of like a scene happens, and then there's some amount of time skip, and then a scene happens. And because of the fact that they're, like, so disconnected, and the fact that we just open on something, 
most of these scenes have this how did you get here element to it. Uh, yeah. No, it's great. They never show how anyone gets anywhere. Daniel's just in SGC. Jack and Teal'c are just in Daniel's apartment. It's genius, and I am astonished that Jonathan Glasser is the one who wrote this. This is a great episode. All those little layers are just terrific. You think they're mistakes, and then you think about it. And that's actually the beauty of all episodes that ever take place in a dream sequence like this. It, technically, every mistake can be explained away by exactly. the dream. It's like life on Mars when um, there's any anachronistic elements. Yeah, it's just it's his like, dream. yeah, but he's not actually in the past. Maybe who fucking knows? They never actually answer it. I have an answer, but I don't like the answer, so I go with a different answer. There <laughs> we go. You ever have that thing where it's like, I know what the actual answer is, but I don't like that answer, so I'm gonna go with this other option, despite the fact that the way my mind has interpreted. All of the clues and the narrative theme of this story has led me to this one answer. I don't like that one, so I'm going to go with this one. Dude, there's times when the movie has straight up showed me. Like, for example, at the end of Rogue One, they die. Yeah. They die. It's not, yes, they do. It's not left up to debate. No. They die. And yet, up until the point that the last Star Wars movie that was most... I can't remember the last name. I can't remember the name of it. You just kept hoping that they'd show Dude, up Dude, you would not believe how many fan theories there were that somehow they were alive. That Jin and Cassian were somehow alive. And I wanted it to be true enough that every single one of them, at least 1% of my body, entertained it as an idea. Listen, Liss. I believe it. They're too hot to be dead. There we go. There was a point where somebody theorized that somehow they had been incorporated into the Knights of Ren, which I knew to be such <laughs> utter <laughs> horseshit. It couldn't oh, even, Lord. it got like, I shouldn't say 1%. It got like 0.3% of a root in me, but it did because it meant they might be alive. Yep. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just, you, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. But yeah, so with the shape of this episode, with the premise of this episode set in front of us, they take Daniel back to the medbay, and he lays down again, and he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up, and it seems to be like a reset of what just happened with him waking up in the medbay before, except Shade is there wearing, like, fatigues. I, dude, I she love looks this great. directing. She looks great. I love seeing her in... in contemporary clothing yeah it's such a great blending it's really cool it's like when um later kasufal starts speaking as if she's there talking to him in real life yes as if it's all just regular it's such, happenstance it's such great blending i love it but yeah so she is at his bedside and she's like doting on him and everything and they uh tell daniel that same thing's same part, beginning of this happened, Tilk shot her, except they immediately took her body to the Tok'ra, who just happenstance happened to have a gold captive with a sarcophagus, and they healed her. What great luck! What kind of sense would that make? The Tok'ra, the guys who refused to use sarcophagus technology this is daniel's bargaining. i know no, i know i just like how he's bargaining so <laughs> dumbly so good. yes <laughs> it's so stupid it's so great what what i think is great is that like this first one is really obvious but like i what it's again more genius it's such an obvious dream that it doesn't make you realize that it's all a dream oh yeah man no this is some good shit 
oh, I just can't handle how good of an episode it's, this it's, is. It's a mind fuck, and they they pulled it off in forty minutes, which mm-hmm. is impressive as fuck. Yeah, for a forty minute episode, amazing. Even with that five minutes opening garbage, there's some wonderful just like one on ones between um Michael Shanks and um between Daniel and Shade in this episode, several instances of it. And they get several moments to like just like show the love and care they, they have for each other. They actually give this couple an actual farewell. Yeah, it's actually really cute because in this first dream, like after they give him this bullshit answer for what happened, like you just see her just start to like canoodle with him, <laughs> just like like leaning over him and just like grabbing his face and like obviously they're like two seconds away from making out and Jack's like. All right, I'm gonna leave the couple alone. <laughs> it's it's so funny. Notice that real fast. I don't need to see my my son with his girlfriend. I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> I I will never get over the fact that we alternate episodes, but him between between him being the husband or the child, and it's just yes. effortlessly <laughs> effortlessly creepy of us because it depends on where they're at. <laughs> They can't be married in this episode because Daniel's dealing with being a widower now. <laughs> and only for this episode because the beauty of me watching two episodes today is I love how they literally get over it by next episode. Yeah. He's already trying to find a new <laughs> girlfriend the next episode. And I'm like, Jesus. Well, there's something to be said for rebounds. He rebounds with a mass murderer. That yeah, says that's the something. whole point. Rebounds are not healthy. Rebounds are not healthy. I love knitting an entire <laughs> row and realizing I made a mistake literally on the second stitch. So now I have to oh, read. No. I'm just slowly, meticulously undoing the row. It's fine. I caught it early before I started the next one. So it's good. It's just next like. Next time we record, I'm going to crochet while we're recording. We'll just be clicking in the background of our stuff as we do it. I mean, crochet is one hook, so I wouldn't be clicking. Well, You'd be clicking. Fine. I'll be clicking. And you'll just be hooking. Uh-huh. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, that so he leaves her alone, and um, I think this is the first time she tries to tell him. Oh yeah, she says she only came to tell Daniel about the boy. About the boy. But then she gets like yanked away, like she's got like a hook in like the middle of her body, and just like <laughs> gets yanked through. Uh, a doorway of light. Yeah, the trivia points out that it's actually kind of a similar effect to what will be later used every time the ascended beings are forcibly pulling somebody yes, who's trying to give that's information. True. So they'll revisit that's this absolutely. later. Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, it works. It does it works work. for it to be the same yeah. visual. But yeah, so she gets yanked away um, and he wakes up and realizes it was a dream. And at this point, we cut to, again, every single scene is just like, we get like these five, seven, maybe even up to ten, not really. It's more like five to seven minute scenes that are housed by themselves. They start and they end, and then there's a new scene. And every time we get a new scene, there's no lead up to how we got into that scene. That yeah. is the theme of all of this episode. Yeah, it's it's acceptable after the credits. <laughs> Before that, it's dumb. Up until after that, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Before the before the cold open, the cold open does it poorly. The rest of this episode, it's a it's a narrative yeah. element. It's almost like they were trying to match perfect. it thematically, even though it makes no sense oh. to do that with the open. But whatever. Stargate walked so Christopher Nolan could run. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
it. The, the listeners can't see you pointing at your temple and pointing at me. Uh, yeah, there we go. Because seriously, sorry, Nolan, you didn't do it first. No, you didn't do it first. This episode did it first, then they did it in 40 minutes. Firefly <laughs> is basically just Cowboy Bebop. And yeah, Christopher Nolan obviously watched Stargate. Big Hero 6. I actually spent once, like, uh, I spent a lot of time once down a rabbit hole convinced that somehow Big Big Hero 6 had violated a copyright law by using a Stargate. <laughs> but it turns That's out, That's no. true, yeah. As soon as I saw it, I was like, is that a Stargate? <laughs> Dude, this CinemaSins video calls it a Stargate. <laughs> like, it's so painfully obvious that it's a fucking Stargate. I genuinely, I'm guessing it's around the time that MGM had, like, sold rights or something that was my conclusion because there was no note on it anywhere and i was like but how it's a stargate (laughs) i don't know man i don't know um but yeah so we cut to the next scene where daniel has abruptly walked into uh general hammond's office and has given his resignation paper his resignation letter and Hammond's like, I-, I can't accept this. And he's like, hey. We live in an at-will country, man. Yeah, and Daniel's like, I'm not uh, I'm not in the military. I'm not under any like, specific contract where you can keep me here. I can leave when I want, and I want to leave. I love how he has to point that out. He's like, you don't get to say no. I quit. Yeah, exactly. It's good. It's a good exchange. I love it. It's, it's, honestly, it's a great version of, like, because this is another one of those tropes of, I resign, well, I don't accept your resignation. You, you can't not accept my resignation. I quit, dude. (laughs) If I'm remembering right, it obviously doesn't just affect references, but somebody, I don't, okay. Somebody told me once, even though it makes no sense, I don't know why I'm repeating this, because to this day, I, I kind of reject it, because it makes no sense, but apparently, Uh somehow, resignations can lead to severance, still. Which makes no sense to me, because severance is supposed to be if you're laid off, which is the opposite of resignation, but whatever. Maybe resignation under very specific and circumstances. It must be. It must where, be. Like, it has to be companies specific. asking you to yeah, resign. Yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be one where they're asking yeah. you to resign. Like, they don't have and, like, to do it. If you resign, you'll get a severance, right, but otherwise we're right. going to have to. Le- yeah, that kind of thing. That's definitely not what's going on here. So I genuinely love that he's going with the respectful resigning thing, but falling back on that. Okay, fine. Then I quit. Because, like, what the fuck yeah. do you want from me here? <laughs> you can't keep me here. But Hammond tries to be like, look, if you, you know, give it more thought, you'll you'll come back to this. And, and Daniel's like, no, I've given it a lot of thought, and I'm resigning. Very important note. It's his sweater. It's his abyss sweater. It is his abyss sweater, as in it is confirmed by the trivia. They even go so far as to call it the oatmeal sweater that he wears. It's a great sweater. I love it. He looks great It makes sense again for them to bring it back, though, as an element, because when he's ascended, it's it's more about how he perceives himself to look than how he actually looks, because he's energy. So it would make sense that the same thing he wore in a dream sequence is something that he ends up wearing as an ascended being. Also, the fact that, like... When he first was doing the Ascension thing, the Ascension was supposed to be about stepping back and not being connected anymore. And this is him resigning from SG-1. So there you go, he's like disconnecting. He, he very quickly, yeah, he very quickly figured out he couldn't do the Ascension thing the normal way. But, like, it's, he tried that so hard in Abyss. Like, he worked so much around the rules in Abyss. Yep, he was, he was just there <laughs> he's like, to look, talk. He wasn't there to Yeah, help. exactly. He was just there to talk. God, I can't wait to get to Abyss and, and Changeling. Oh, oh my God. Okay, but yeah. So he he resigns. Um, 
somewhat tactfully. Yes. And uh, he runs into Teal'c on his way out, and Teal'c tries to apologize, and Daniel's being a little shithead I love how he asks him, point. isn't there a ritual that I can do to gain your forgiveness? God. Christopher Judge just says a, such a good job in this episode. And you know what's so wonderful? What's amazing about when you, when you get to the end of this episode and you realize all of this was a dream, Daniel's awareness of all of his friends and who they are as people. Like he's able to guess all this and it seems so accurate. Yeah, because like all of this reads, outside of like the really obvious dream sequences where Shade is walking around, all of this reads like it actually happened. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. His head canon of his friends is very accurate. Yes, because he's he's a very analytical person. He knows his friends. He knows that Hammond would do the I don't accept this resignation because Hammond's done the I don't accept this resignation before. Not with Daniel. I think it was with Jack, maybe, or someone. I don't remember who it was. But he's done this before. Oh, with Teal. He's done it with Teal, too. He's done this before. Like, Daniel knows his friends. He knows his coworkers. He knows, he knows exactly the how they're going to At very least, act. he knows that Hammond would say something along the lines of, dude, yeah. you're going through an emotional time. I only, I only deal with, with people who've had time to come to terms with things. But what's so wonderful about the like his his awareness of his friends, and I think especially in the case that we already talked about, like when this show first started, there was a tension between him and Teal'c, and the show actually tried to make a point of having pairing Teal'c and Daniel up so that that tension would start to right. resolve, and having now Daniel become one of his advocates. Exactly, and I think that it culminates in this episode where. At the same time that Daniel wants to be this petty bitch who blames <laughs> Teal'c for, for Sade dying and doesn't want to listen to him and just wants to, you know, write him off, you're, you're dead to me kind of thing or whatever, basically. At the same time he's doing this in his dreams, his dreams, which are his own subconscious, are also telling him to forgive Teal'c. In the way that you're seeing Teal genuinely regretful, and not regretful, but, you know, genuinely remorseful. Remorseful, I think, is a better word than regretful. G like, genuinely remorseful, trying to emotionally reach out to Daniel, like, and, and having Shade later on will also tell him, you need to forgive Teal. You know, just like, the dichotomy of having one side of him having this petty tantrum, but the other side of him knowing who Teal'c is as a person enough to where he's like, no, it's not Teal'c's fault. And this is all happening before, all of this is happening before Shade's actually dead. In this dream, Daniel sees that Shade's going to get killed by Teal'c. He knows there's no way out of this. If Teal'c doesn't kill Shade, he's going to die and Teal'c is not going to let him die. He knows this is going to happen, so he imagines that happening. And while he has that part of him who's like, I don't like that, I want to be mad at Teal'c. He also understands that he can't, and he understands that, like, what he has with Teal'c is too important, you know? It's so good. And I like how this can also tell me that maybe Amonet's backup plan was, okay, worst case scenario, Daniel dies, and I get to kill one last enemy as I go, and I did already send the kid into hiding, so he's probably fine. Yeah. I, f I fucking love it. I have to ask, oh. though, I can't remember. She says he's sent into hiding with an aide. Was that aide Oma yet, or did Oma get him later? I didn't i don't Did remember she make a deal with aid. oma maybe 
Because I know he gets sent to where she is. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm, I just can't. I can't figure out if I. I can't I'm remember. Not sure. I can't, I'm sure. We'll find out eventually. I mean, we do know that there's um, a history of another gold ascending. So. Well, yeah, you know, thanks to know. fucking Oma. Yeah, I know, I know. But, like, so, it, it wouldn't be too crazy for, like, a single Jaffa to go there and not be thrown out or whatever, Yeah, no, she know? seems to have a weird affinity for them. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, so he, he refuses to accept Teal'c's apology and leaves. Like a petty bitch. Yeah, yeah, like a petty bitch. We get a good, I think this part happens first. Uh, does, is, is the part where they're helping, they're helping Daniel move all of his stuff into his apartment happen first or his another dream, quote unquote dream? I'm pretty sure the, the apartment scene happens first. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay. So, so there's not much that happens here other than the fact that I love that um, it's, it's more Jack trying to convince Daniel to come back. But what I love about it is that it's, it's Daniel and Jack and and sam and some nameless airman right who's all been helping him move his stuff in and daniel specifically thanks the nameless airman for helping him move the stuff and jack just grabs that thank you and is like you're welcome <laughs> you're you're very welcome because jack looks at daniel's like if you're gonna be a petty bitch i'm gonna be a petty bitch see how you like it Oh, I'm sorry, before this, um, we did actually get a, a moment when, when the team was finding out that Daniel was quitting, uh, where Hammond told Jack that, uh, well, no, Daniel told Jack that uh, Robert Rothman would be replacing him. Rothman. And I immediately I got excited. He is, I love Rothman so Rothman much. Rothman is a short-lived treasure, but he is a treasure. He's a delight. He's only in three episodes, but he's great in all of them. Dude, his attitude is the best thing about him, and I love how Daniel knows, A, his friend Rothman quite well, and knows how much Jack would antagonize Rothman, to the point that if Rothman were to be fired from SG-1, he would be happy about it, and give a nice little fuck you salute to jack as he leaves the room yes. which really just made me so epically happy there weren't enough words to describe it no it's it's good it's it's delightful but yeah so jack's not happy about getting assigned a new nerd that is not his nerd then the apartment scene happens and and you know jack fails to convince daniel to come back so this is a great Teal'c episode. I will say Sam does almost nothing this in this episode, unfortunately. But there are several instances where um, I'm I'm especially thinking of when Daniel first woke up, where she was one second away from crying, talking to him, and Amanda Tapping just does an amazing job. She's not given much to do in this episode, but what she does in this episode is phenomenal. Because again, all of the main team are amazing actors, and even when they're given very little to do, they still rock it. I just was really struck, and I forgot to talk about it, um, when because there was so much other stuff that was happening when Daniel first woke up. Then I forgot to talk about how amazing her like emotional where like she 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 knows who Daniel is as a person at this point, so she knows he's not gonna have that very loud emotional outburst, so she's almost having it for him. She's almost like trying to prompt him. <laughs> yeah, like you won't cry, so I'll cry for you. <laughs> that just tells me that he knows that she would try to get him to open up more when he yes, closes off. Again, What's so great is that this is all his awareness of his friends, and it's 
amazing because it's pretty pitch perfect. This just goes to show there's a difference fundamentally between the two scientist types in this show and in SGA. Because in SGA, Rodney is the lead scientist type, and Rodney's a scumball. So when he is. when Rodney has a moment and imagines Sam helping him out, he imagines oh God, her half-clothed, wet... Uh, and kissing him to get his body temperature back up. I just like to point out real quick the difference between these two people. Daniel imagines her as a friend who supports him. Rodney <laughs> imagines her as a fucking cheerleader in a fucking pink tracksuit. Uh, it's amazing to me how the writing is actually pretty damn good there when you think about it because they differentiated those two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very clearly. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, so uh, then we, you know, he, he moves back in with all his stuff into his apartment. Uh, probably the first time he's been in his apartment in a long time because he's definitely one of those people I'm who lives on base most of the time. Every time he walks into his apartment because of all the dust. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he, um, oh, oh, he been, God, there's so many, like, again, because it's a whole bunch of, like, disconnected five minute scenes it's very easy to skip over one after he woke up the second time in the med bay there was that great moment between him and sam where he's just sitting in the bed staring at a pin yeah oh the ballpoint pen that one scene. yes yes uh. i i that's important it does nothing to this show it does nothing to the narrative at all but it's important it's just him talking about how like you know he's He's always studied the written word, blah, 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 blah. But then when he was in Living on Abydos, Shade thought the ballpoint pen was magic because of the way it could write and everything. And just, like, he's telling Sam this story about Shade, and it's just, it's lovely. I'm going to take it's a wonderful. moment to be, like, four, four I'm, I'm going to be 16% peeved on behalf of women that this amazing character was given more backstory and development in a five-second scene by a white dude. <laughs> yes. Then she was on screen acting. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I can't argue with any part of this. It's a nice little scene, but you're not wrong. Daniel moves back into his apartment. He goes to sleep. He has another dream where Shade's in the bed with him. And this is where she says the Harcesis thing. She's like, you know, you, you have to find the Harcesis. Um, he's the human child of two gold and will know all the secrets of the gold. And also, you must forgive Teal'c. The trivia here was less than helpful because it, all it said <laughs> here about this was probably the word Harcesis comes from Harcesis or whatever. Harcesis. There's a lot of, there's uh -huh. a lot of eyes in there. Uh-huh. But that supposedly translates to Horus, son of Isis. That doesn't make it better to me because I'm like, okay, cool. Then why did they pick that as the root? Like that almost gives me know. information, but not quite. That gives me half of the information. Yeah, it's got some sort of base. So I'm conveying the, to you and to and to yeah. the audience no, half I of the that. information. Yeah, it's something. It is something. But yeah, so she's you know she's telling him you need to find the child, the Harcesis. It's important. Also, you need to forgive Teal. <laughs> but she keeps getting dragged away before she can actually tell him where the child is. I can't decide if it's because Aminette's a bitch, and even that, even when she's trying to work with her, she's still just like, sorry, can't do it. Or if it's just because of dramatic timing. <laughs> one of those. It's definitely well, it's, at least one. 
There's definitely a very pointed element that he only finally gets the message when he goes back to the scene of the crime. There we go. Maybe she's like, you gotta, you gotta come full circle before you can get the full yeah. message. It, yeah, it's a full circle thing. That's 100% what it is. It's just you've got to finish the journey. Even in the moment before her death, Emmanette cannot let things just go easy. She has to make no. it complicated because the Goa Olds are dramatic in all things. They live for the drama. They are dramatic in all things. <laughs> they have to be. They won't yeah, this tracks, honestly. That's this isn't a complaint. It. This just tracks. Oh, also, apparently I need to watch Stargate Origins because apparently it starts exploring the idea of underlords with the Goa Uld, which is a question I've been having for a while, which is like, where is the line drawn between snakes? And apparently this might actually give me some information, but I'm very pissed because I don't want to watch Stargate Origins. Well, we're going to watch it for the show regardless, so... So I'm going to rely on you here for the notes because uh, my order of events are going to start to fall uh -oh. apart here a well, little relying bit. relying on me is always a mistake, but let's do it. we got to switch it up a little bit. Cool. So chaos descends. So let's do this. <laughs> uh, do we immediately cut to the funeral at this point? From what, what was the ending scene? I was thinking about Origins. Where he's, you know, in, in the bed with Shade and she once again tries to tell him. Yeah, because uh, so at one point, because Sam was helping him pack, and she goes, will we see you again? He says, yeah, at the funeral. At the funeral. Then the dream happens. And then, then he dials an extremely old phone that makes me feel like I'm too old. And then I think it's the funeral scene. Oh, and then we cut immediately to the funeral. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We don't see why he called, or who he called, or what he did. He started to dial, and he, like, struggled with it. And then, like, um... Which honestly could have been another clue about it being a dream. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I kind of like that whole, way too much on the phone. That <laughs> whole theory about how like you can't read in dreams, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, and you can't see the, the the time on a clock. Yeah, so maybe that's why he was struggling with the phone. Dude, I may not care for the writer, but call me Richard Rawl because I can never remember my dreams. So I wouldn't know that thing with the time. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. So he he makes a phone call. We don't see what comes of that phone call at all. Nothing. Because it seems, it, in in a normal episode, where he's not just having a whole bunch of uh, disconnected, disjointed dream sequences, that phone call would have led to something. It leads to nothing. Right. <laughs> we just cut to the funeral, uh, where Daniel does a really good, um, I, I like the, I love the way this scene is framed, because you've got the, the, the grave in the middle, you've got SG-1 in their, their blues, on one side, you've got Abedonians in their garb on the other side. And then you've got Kasuf and Daniel standing at the front. I love the word garb. Sorry, I just had to take a moment. Garb is a fun word. And Kasuf and Daniel. I also love that Daniel's wearing the Abedonian outfit, but he also has his sunglasses on. Thank you for calling <laughs> it out, like because the combination of aviators with that just killed me. He looks like a celebrity trying to go incognito. Right? He looks like he's doing his like <laughs> I'm hanging low. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so he gives a a nice little service speech for her, basically about how she died innocent, you know, like that um the things that the demon inside her did were not her own, blah blah blah. Uh and he does a great thing where he does it in Abedonian and then he does it in English. Which 
I'm like here for, but also freaking love, also freaking hate because it's just for the audience. But at the same time, I'm a member of that I mean, audience, SG1's so I there. appreciate it. Well, I mean, audience SG1's could there. also be the SG one as the audience. I mean, as in like if he okay, was doing yeah. this funeral right in that language, he wouldn't. I mean, I honestly wouldn't be offended if somebody if I went to any funeral right in another in in another in and then oh my god and they didn't translate in it in another wouldn't. language. There we go. That's hard to say. Um, yeah, and it was all in that language. I would. If if it, if I needed to know, I'd bring my Google Translate book with me or something. Yeah. You know, like I would I would do what I need to do. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm not gonna be upset with the show when they do it because I am also a member of that audience and I wasn't prepared yeah, for an exactly. Abaddonian funeral, so I didn't bring my Abaddonian translation book today. So it's okay that they tell me what the fuck he says because I want to know. <laughs> Yeah. Although I guess I guess in those moments I would prefer subtitles because fuck SG one they don't need to know. Aww. Well, I don't know. Is that a thing? It's like fuck it. You're there to pay respects. So I get it. I get why they do it, but I have that love hate every time for that trope. This whole scene is extremely dramatic and emotional, and I actually got a little choked up by it, just like I did at the yeah. ending scene. So I have to just say his acting, as always, fucking on point. Amazing. And I love that they do the uh, weighing the feather on the scale thing. Yeah, it's like the uh, Book of the Dead, according to the trivia. Yeah. The the whole, your heart needs to be lighter than a feather. Uh, and they've just got a scale in front of her grave, and he puts a feather on it. And, you know, it's it's nice. I like I like the ritual element I love it. the whole, like, being an advocate for the dead kind of thing, where he goes, like, I speak for Sharae because she can no longer because speak she for can't, herself. Yeah. And it's like... That was wonderful. Oh, my heart broke Yeah, a little, and then man. the speech he gave was in first person. Yeah. Like, he was her talking. Yeah, I just love that. Literally being the speaker for the good. dead. Because, yes. as always, he will take a speaker role. Don't remind me of the... The best Orson Scott Card book when Orson Scott Card is a fucking dick. God, he's a dick. Oh my god. But Speaker for the Dead is such a good book. (laughs) In much the same way, we accidentally skipped over the the beautiful uh, solo moment between Sam and Daniel Uh, when Jack uh, was helping Daniel move back into his apartment. There was a great close to the scene where they do, like, the, you know, goodbye, you know, Dr. Jackson, Colonel O'Neill, blah, 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 and, like, the handshake, and then they pause and look at each other, and then just go in for a hug. Yeah. And that was really important. <laughs> so, you know, th- they finish the the ceremony, and as he's finishing the ceremony, Kasuf comes up to talk to him, and I love that he calls Daniel good oh, son. I love that just because his daughter is dead... He doesn't Daniel's disregard their son. relationship. I love that Daniel knows this of Kasuf. Yes. And he keeps calling so him good wonderful. father, too. He also maintains it. Yes. It's so wonderful. This episode is just such a beautiful snapshot of Daniel. Like, <laughs> for all that we say, like, Daniel is a sociopath and blah, 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 blah. He's sociopathic. Episode... He's not a sociopath, necessarily. Yeah, yeah, sociopathic. Yeah, that's fair. Um... I almost said sociopathic, and then I didn't for some reason. I was lazy. I don't know. Uh, But for all that we like to say that, like, this episode is a perfect portrayal of the love in his heart for all of these people. He has emotions. He's just strategic with them. (laughs) Yeah. Which is fair. I am, too. (laughs) But, yeah, so they, they have a little conversation, and they're talking about the ceremony. And then, uh, Kasuf's like, you still need to... You you still haven't listened to Shada. You need to listen to her. You have to hear her. And he's like, "What?" And because he, he's like, "What she has to say is important. You you need to go to her." 
And then he looks over and there's Shade um, wearing her Abedonian clothes, not the gold clothes this time. And she once again tells Daniel, you need to forgive Teal'c. And he's like, you already told me that. <laughs> I love how he literally is, he's great at defying the trope. Everybody involved with making this episode, down to Daniel being part of the episode, is really great at defying yeah. that trope where, like, he's, like, flipping his head around going, like, you're not really here. This is all a lie. Oh, my God, what's happening? He's just like, yeah, all right, fine, let's do this. Um, You already told me that shit? I don't care. <laughs> he's just full-on talking with this hallucination, and he doesn't give a fuck. He is full-on empty field of fucks, and I love it. Well, there's the... Hold up. Did we skip an entire scene? Did we? Oh, no, no. It, it It's... Okay. The scene where he has the whole how'd you get in here, and Jack is in there with um with Kasuf, which is coming up soon, there's a part in that where Shade shows up again, and he keep, he has, like... he never He never does the, oh, my God... But you could see he's kind of like, do they like are also they registering her, her here? here? But that's what I mean. It's yeah, like he doesn't do it stupid. He does it like crafty, yeah. and I love it. Yes, exactly. I appreciate it. It's how I would do it exactly. if I was in a situation. Exactly. It's how like I would do that. it. Yeah, you gotta do it crafty. Don't make a fool of yourself. Jesus, don't call attention to yourself. It's gonna make it harder to figure out what's going on at the very least. Yes. For me, it's a social anxiety time on top of that. The last thing I need is to be embarrassed on top of my confusion in this alternate yeah, reality. That's, that's why happening. I would act like yeah. that. Exactly. So, you and I are the same person exactly. in that way. So here's what kills me. There's a scene at her funeral where he's just blasé about it. He's like, he kind of looks around confused, like, wait, what? I'm not dreaming. And then when Kasuf joins in, he's like, all right, fine. <laughs> he's just kind of here for it. <laughs> what works is, again, this is framing. Peter Deloitte's doing great framing because they're kind of off to the side when this happens. Yeah. And then as soon as, like, he says, like, you, you're not listening to her, you need to hear her, like... Everyone else other than Kasuf, Daniel, and Sade seem to not exist anymore on the screen. They're off screen. They're not here anymore. Part of that is 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 a great decision, honestly, because it avoids all of that secondhand embarrassment bullshit that mm -hmm. also just takes up so much time. But it's also got a great dream quality to it. Because as soon as they're out of Daniel's eyeline, they cease to exist. They don't exist anymore. It's really well crafted after the credits. Yes, yes, yes. After the cold open. Uh, but yeah, so once again, you know, she's like, you need to find the boy. Um, and Kasuf joins in and is like, yeah, he's the Harcesis. He holds the secrets. Uh, they, they, they say the same shit over again. Yeah. You know, he, he has all the secrets of the gold, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and she gets yanked away again before she can tell him where. <laughs> then we go to him getting to... Uh, he goes to... SGC to talk to Sam uh, because at this point he's got a theory about what's happening here and he shows up uh, to <laughs> I love he shows up and D Jack's like oh thank god Daniel's here and Daniel's immediately like I I'm here for Sam not you guys <laughs> I love, this is where I'm talking about Daniel just being so easily detached, because he's just, he has, I would be crippled with secondhand guilt here, just like, even though yes. I would still be doing what I wanted to do, I'd be like, eh, 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 having a hard time making eye contact and doing this, mm -hmm. you know, struggling to do it. Meanwhile, Daniel's just like, nah, fuck you, bro. Like, to his face. He's like, yes. no, I'm not here for you. <laughs> like, Duh. Petty bitch, petty like, bitch. Love him. Why? What'd I do to you? Hi to you as well, dickhead. 
Yeah, so what, what's the frame even is great because Daniel says I need to talk to Sam alone, and then Jack kind of like bristling is like, "Well, fine, General, I need to talk to you alone." And he like gives Rothman, who's on the team now because they just came through the gate after a mission, gives Rothman like this dirty look. <laughs> and there's a great scene where Daniel's like talking with uh, Rothman, like, "You know how you doing?" And he's like, "Well, uh, they'd rather have you, especially, especially your husband, Colonel O'Neill." Yeah, especially your husband. And Daniel's like, well, you know, he's... Don't, don't worry about him. Uh, he's just intimidated be, by you because you're way smarter than him. <laughs> Such a great callback later for it being a clue. Yes, I love Such this Such a great callback clue. later. God, I, this show yes. is awesome and this episode is cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to do a little asterisk every time I say this episode's cool so I can just go after the opening credits. Ding! <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and then there's, and uh, another wonderful moment is that before Sam, you know, goes off with Daniel, Tilt comes up to Daniel and is like, you know, it, you know, it's good to see you doing good. And, and Daniel, at this point, he's had enough of that self-therapy with the dream, uh, Shade, that he can look at Teal and go, you did the right thing. He's already healing on that side of things. It definitely helps that he has, like, a goal now, because Daniel's a very goal-oriented person. He's got to have something there, you know? Yeah, I honestly really like how this whole episode's a really good a really good way of um, easing the story. They eased it nicely away from Apophis into this next stage, this pre-stage. Yes. And now with this, they're easing it into the Harcesis storyline, which will mm -hmm. wrap up nicely with uh, once Daniel's trying to leave the show. Um, it'll wrap up nicely with, the with them wrapping line. up stuff with the Abaddonians yes. in general. And then, Absolutely. right after that, they'll just beautifully start out the next big major antagonist with Anubis. Yes. So wonderful. It's they great did a, They did a great job. They also do a great job when um, Osiris shows up of using Osiris as a way to get a closer look at the system lords themselves. God, Osiris is so delightfully awful. Yes. I cannot I can't wait for that wait. episode. I can't wait. And of course that's Daniel's ex. <sighs> but yeah, so uh the whole point of Daniel having this segment of the dream sequence is for uh Dream Sam to confirm his own theory to himself again. <laughs> I love how it's just basically him shaking his own hand. Like, yes, it was a great theory. It just reminds me of that joke where every time a, a character in a book tells somebody they're intelligent, it's the writer calling themselves intelligent. Themselves intelligent, yes. But I do like that, once again, like, he, he knows her enough that, like, she still is resistant to his initial theory at first. Right. She's kind of like, that's not really what it's there for. That's not, that's but not basically, goes, he asks... Man. Yeah, he's basically asking if it's possible to send a message through the hand device while it's being used he's on you. He's asking himself if it's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's great. It's it's so funny. Uh, when you when you actually take a step back and understand what's happening in this episode, it's like, on one hand, uh, it's so funny, because on one hand, it's like, he's got a great sense of his friends and a lot of love in his heart for his friends, but on the other hand, it's like, you've got a bit of an ego on you, don't you? <laughs> I love how, at the same time, he's managing to think that Sam is the smartest person he knows while also telling himself that he's the smartest person he knows. Yes! <laughs> it's wonderful! This episode oh. does a great 
great job of being funny and super emotional, and it's it's honestly not. I would not have thought this would be a good balance, but they do a good job of it. But yeah. So after she's like, it's it's meant to kill you, Daniel. He eventually talks her around to basically going, yeah. I mean, it's possible, maybe that you could do this. Maybe. <laughs> hey, hey, hey uh, brain, other side of the brain. I'm being zapped right now. Is it is it possible that more could be going on over there? I don't know, other side of the brain. I'm also being zapped right now. Um, <laughs> it might be possible. <laughs> yeah. But I'll have to get back to you after some zapping. <laughs> it's the Bo Burnham right brain, left brain skit. <laughs> but it's just like, oy vey. Yeah, it's funny. So then after she basically says, well, maybe, he's like, I think she was trying to send me a message. And she's like, what message? He's like, I, I don't know yet. What message turns into Share? <laughs> gives message. Yeah, exactly. That. Well, we're supposed to think this actually happened. I know, but right that'd be now. really funny if that just like <laughs> that would be cut funny. down on the runtime. Then we, but then we get the uh, this is the scene we already referenced a couple times where Daniel walks into his own apartment and Jack and Kasup are just sitting there waiting for him, and he's like, H- "How did you get here?" <laughs> and Jack does not answer him. And he's like, the writing for this scene is brilliant. Daniel says, how did you get here? Jack does not answer him. (laughs) Says like, you know, you left early. Um, We wanted to stop by and see you. Daniel, no change in inflection or delivery. How did you get in here? (laughs) And then he says like, you know, you're going to need a new lock. (laughs) Um, But then this is the scene that we talked about where like, Kasuf is now here to tell Daniel, you know, you can't leave the team. We look at the fact that we know you are on this team out there fighting these demons to protect us, that we feel safe now with this and blah, 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 blah. Daniel trying to convince himself that he needs to stay is so sweet. Yeah, exactly. And then he also goes on to say, like, you know, Shade also needs you to travel so that you can find the boy. And then off the camera pans over and Shade is also in the room. And then there's that moment where he kind of like looks between Shade and Kasuf and Jack. Like, are any of you going to react to that? This is weird, right? But I guess not. And all that happens is that she says, come to me. And then he wakes up in his apartment again it's so great because like there's been like three scenes in a row or not in a row but like there'd be like a scene and then a scene in between three times in a row now he's quote-unquote woken up in his bed in his apartment yeah in the same exact shot framing everything it's so brilliant it's almost kind of like a weird visual callback to the trope of like a groundhog's day thing where it's always the same song when they wake up absolutely yes it's so good peter deluise He's the man. Did amazing with the framing of this to do, like, just like like I said before, where, like, you frame and suddenly this person doesn't exist anymore. They're not in the scene. They don't exist. Or framing all of these shots that are, like, he's waking up in his apartment. He's waking up in his apartment. Which one of these is real? None of them. Um, None of them are real. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so he wakes up in his apartment again, and then he goes to SGC again. He doesn't need a pass. He's just in there. He got in there. He's fine. So Daniel decides to... (laughs) Knowing what this episode is, it's so funny because, like, he already had the thing where he checked in with Sam about the potential ability of a ribbon device to 
you know, transport a message. And now he goes in to check with Teal'c to find out what the child of two gold hosts would become. And Teal'c just tells him what he already knows because this is all in his own head. <laughs> Speaking of things that technically didn't need to happen and could have given us a better intro instead. Yeah, but it works too because it's like he he's at this point we still don't know that all of this is in his head. So he thinks he's all he thinks he's doing is confirming that the information that Dreams Chavade gave him is true and something to act on. All right, fine. I think it's necessary. I mean, it's I, funny I, after the I fact because like, you're like he's asking himself if his own thought is correct. I, I want to love every single bit of this episode, so I'm not going to complain with that. But the but the first five minutes still yes, sucks. Yes, but no, I'll say, I'll, but I'll, I'll allow this to salvage another 5% back, so we're good. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, so he basically gets Teal'c to literally say exactly what Shade's already told him. That, you know, they, they contain all the knowledge of the gold. Which doesn't even get me started on how the fuck you can just preload a human brain like that. I'm over it. I'm out. Yeah, it's fine. So then um, Daniel starts to leave after having himself tell himself that he was correct. And Teal'c has another great moment where he stops him to just be like, uh, it pleases me greatly that once again you value my knowledge. I wish there had been more acknowledgement from Daniel there where he's, he could be like, dude, I always valued you. I was just mad for a while or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I know it's not real Teal'c. It's nice to have yeah. something. I know it's not yeah. real Teal'c, but I, my feelings for him yeah. were hurt. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, then we go into uh, Daniel walking into Hammond's office, where apparently Jack has been having this meeting with Hammond for two days now, <laughs> because he's only just now having the conversation with Hammond about how he needs it's Rothman off his team. He was just waiting yeah, in the static. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I love that Daniel walks into Jack saying, "This guy's got two left feet. Get him, you know, get him off the team." And Daniel immediately goes. Deja vu. <laughs> Dude, I love how Daniel and Daniel speak goes, well, that's sus. Yeah, exactly. That's weird. <laughs> this is a, it's a great callback to earlier dialogue where he was like, no, you were using the term geek earlier for me as well. And you're using it now for the other guy. And Daniel's brain managed to rewrap it back around and have Jack be like, no, I was talking about you the whole time. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah, Daniel's always been talking about himself the whole time here. He's talking to himself. <laughs> It's really cool. It's really cool exactly. dialogue. And I like how it also wraps back around here, though, where he's once again recycling things he said about Daniel because yes. that's what he's been doing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's so great. And I love that um, even though it's a dream and everything, Daniel still has to show that Jack's lying his ass off right now and just wants Daniel back because he has. he's like, you know, Rothman was a two-time decathlon champion at college. <laughs> and... He, and Hammond's like, two left feet, huh, Jack? <laughs> just, and he's like, I love how Daniel takes like, the well, time to I, pet his own uh, ego via his husband yes. in the middle of a dream sequence where his wife is trying dearly to give him information before she expires. Whatevs. Listen, Daniel, Daniel and Jack communicate solely through petty barbs. It was important. It was important. Even if, Dan, if, even if Jack isn't actually in this scene it still for real. <laughs> Yeah, 
But yeah, so I love how Daniel just like leads this conversation. At this point, it's so great because at this point, Daniel's like just like wholly leading these conversations. Before, it was the other people trying to drag him into conversations. And now he's just with the dialogues basically narrating what's going to happen. Because he just goes, trying to get Robert off your unit, huh? And Jack's like, yeah. And Daniel turns to Hammond and goes, any chance of that happening? And then Hammond's like, only if you'll reconsider. And Daniel's like, okay. <laughs> Only in a dream sequence would you have this much job security. Yes! <laughs> Although, I don't know, Daniel with SGC might yeah, regard Maybe, but still, my joke stands. <laughs> maybe not with Landry later on, but with Hammond, yes, absolutely. Dude, I heard somebody Landry once... would give him a bit more guff. <laughs> I once heard somebody refer to Bo Bridges as the lesser Bridges, and I got so offended on his behalf just because of Stargate. Yeah, I love him. Dude, Hammond is great. But Landry's also great. Well, Landry's also great. Landry's a different person. He's not yes, the same, it's... but he's not trying to be the same. Uh, we're going to do uh, our second in a row MASH reference here. It's exactly like when they replaced the, the head of MASH. Completely different lead. Still fucking great. Still phenomenal. I love both of the yeah, heads. But they need to be wholly independent characters for it to be a decent yes. story. And what's genius about MASH is the fact that a lot of how they show the difference in between the two leads of the camp is in the way they interact with Radar. Uh, don't make me cry over that death scene, though. Uh... Oh, shut up. God, no, You're no. going to make me cry. You're going to make me <laughs> no, cry. We're not talking about it. No, no. Okay, we're going to talk about this instead. So, uh, so yeah, Rothman's off the team. <laughs> Jack's like, wait, it's, it's that easy? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm back. And I do love how even Dream Rothman is not disappointed by this. Yeah, because they go to they go to they go up to Rothman or, and um, Jack's like you're you're out and he's like, uh, why? And he's like, you've been reassigned. Why? Okay, you've been replaced. Why? <laughs> and then dramatic entrance time because again, Daniel. it's a dream sequence. I love how it's completely yes. and totally, totally, not just explainable, but like perfectly accurate that he has this dramatic entrance because we yes! all would do that in a dream of course yes! we would it's like and cue daniel oh my god i just i can't talk i can never say how much i love this episode it's a terrific fucking episode it's just that simple that's why i was astonished jonathan glassner wrote it it's funny here's the thing when we started to hate on him i was surprised that we were starting to because i was like dude glassner i would have thought he'd be great i'm happy to be swerving back into the hey glassner knows what he's doing lane yeah and and the thing is that like dream sequences are such a a feared oh, they can be fickle in the genre <sighs> because they're so bad usually yeah. so for him to shine with dream sequences is remarkable but so the thing that you mentioned, like, at the very beginning of our recording of, like, Rothman just being like, thank God, and, like, giving Jack the, like, mocking salute as he leaves. Like, peace, bitch. <laughs> I'm going back to the archaeology unit where they're not mean to me. I'm sorry your husband quit. Jesus Christ. Here, he's back. Bye. <laughs> Dude, you know what? It's also another... So, like, for the most part, Daniel's been pretty on on point with, like, everyone acting in character. But this this moment at the end as Rothman's leaving definitely feels like a... 
I wish Jack would do this more often. There's just the very quiet moment of Jack looking at Daniel and whispering thank you at him. <laughs> that just seems like a wishful. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> so the team go through the gate, and they come out on an amazing-looking planet. It is it's, gorgeous, isn't it? It is It is covered in bright. Like, they definitely did something to the camera filter. Uh, bright purple flowers covered and it's so cool but i understand that it could get very expensive to do a whole episode here so like if you can't afford to do a whole episode here at least they tried it once for the five second not five seconds five minutes that we're up we're on screen for it i appreciated seeing it regardless oh yeah definitely but daniel basically gets on the other side with everyone and waits just long enough for everyone to get far enough away from the gate and distracted enough that as soon as they turn their backs on him, he runs to the gate and dials out and and leaves. <laughs> Peace. Bye. And Jack's like, where did he go? And Sam's like, the gate cleared before I could see the address. There's something that people bring up as a critique of the Jumanji movie, which is up to a certain point, everything makes sense cutscene-wise and NPC-wise. Up and I already know right. where you're going with this, and I agree yeah. with you. Okay, well, there you go. So for the audience, up until the point where the guy all of a sudden starts talking, the um, NPC bad guy starts talking to his NPC cohorts as if this is like a cutscene or something, but there's no one there, and it's for the benefit of yes. no one. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense. It's weird and eye-jarring. I don't know. Eye-jarring wasn't what I went for, but I kind of like it. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, go for it. This is this is kind of like that. Jack Daniel's not here anymore. This scene should not be here. Exactly. It's I funny that they I have this NPC off-screen cutscene. And it's not cut even scene. necessary. Yeah, it's not even necessary. It's an odd thing to include. All you have to, to do is show him come through the gate. It's like, literally just to try to convince the audience still that this is happening. I think, or whatever. Yeah, I guess. I I, I think if. It would be a stronger episode if it wasn't in here, but even then, only, like, a percent or two stronger. Like, it barely hurts it. It's only because of the fact that the rest of this episode is constructed so perfectly around the dream sequence thing that this stands out to us. Uh, but yeah, so he gets through, uh, and he went back to the planet where they fought the Jaffa and uh, Shade died. Right. And he goes to the tent and you know goes there and meets Shade there again and it's now that he's he's in the location where she died where she was doing the hand device on him that when she tries to tell him where the the boy is she starts to get yanked away again but she manages to stay it's like no bitch this is literally the end mm -hmm. but even then she doesn't give him an address she just tells him a place well, she doesn't have the address she tells him keb I think Aminette went to great pains to make sure that only specific bits of knowledge were accessible. Yeah, which is fair. Uh, but yeah, she tells him Keb, uh, which... <laughs> the fact that Daniel wastes precious time saying Keb is a myth. Yeah, when, when we're talking about... The literal incarnation of an Seth, Egyptian god is yeah, just... Yeah, that was kind of a dumb line. A dumb line. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a, it's a mythical place where Osiris hid from Seth. Cough, cough. <clears throat> yeah. It's a hiding place. I think it would have been more meaningful if Anubis was involved, but... <laughs> yeah, I think it was interesting to bring in. But they the definitely weren't planning for Anubis yet. Yeah, 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 I hope not. God, there's no way they were planning well, for Anubis that, this I early. I always assumed Anubis was more of a storyline to take over for 
the negotiations that were going on in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I feel. I just assume. Yeah, I, but I don't think they knew about Anubis yet. So, yeah. But it would be not, it would be cooler if it involved Anubis because of what we're going to find out yeah. seasons down the yeah, line. But whatever. whatever. It's, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's, not like it's, it's not like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And basically, she says, promise me you'll save the kid. Uh, he promises. Promise me, Ned. Yeah. So, and then as soon as he's promised, knowing where the kid is, theoretically, <laughs> he knows a place. He knows what to start looking She's for She's now. now outlived her usefulness. Um, yeah, unfortunately. As a story device. This is when we cut back out from the ribbon device to see Teal'c shoot her, her fall to the ground. What? It was a dream the whole time? The glow leave her eyes just long enough for Shade to say goodbye to Daniel, say I love you. And then have an extremely fake death scene. And he just, like, I do love, the f again, framing the framing of this episode is just oh amazing. Their death. Because the framing of, yeah, her, because she falls on her side on the floor. And then Daniel just, like, also on his side, just scoots in next to her. So they kind of form, like, an the oval lovers look. with each other. It's like the lovers yes, in the joint it's, coffin. It's very sad. Yes. It's so ungodly oh. sad. It's so beautifully sad that he's taking this moment to just reflect on that thing that they'll never get to have now yes but i also love what's what's great about we we already talked about how it was necessary to come back here to come full circle it's in this moment that the viewers at home realize everything we saw was a dream but despite all that because of the fact that daniel had all of this time in his dream to come to all these realizations get this knowledge from shade all of this stuff when Teal walks up and apologizes for having to shoot her, Daniel is immediately able to tell him, you did the right thing. Yep. And that's so important. That's so important. And then he takes an extremely... Huh, this is when I choked up again. He takes that extremely well-acted moment to say I love you back to her. Yes. Which fucking killed me. Uh, I'm choking and up again. And that's how we cut out. Yeah, this is a great yeah. ending. It's one of the only times an abrupt ending has worked perfectly in this show. It's just, it's, a, it's it, amazing. The ending was so good that I don't even care that her death scene could make Marion Cotillard's look terrible, uh, look good, I mean, in the last Batman movie. Like, I know even she hates that take, so I feel safe saying yeah. this. <laughs> that was a crap fake death scene, and this was a crap fake death scene. But I don't even care, because it yeah. was so emotionally rich around it. Oh, oof. Oh, man. I haven't been this struck by an episode since Heather Ash's first one, The Learning Curve. Yeah, I was sad because the other day I hadn't noticed um, until after we were done, after I was done editing. Um, so I like to double check some of my trivia to make sure. But I was checking over it and I realized that um, that was actually the last episode written by Terry Curtis Fox. And I was like, God damn it. Was yep, it? Rules of the last one was, yep, it's his last of three. Oh, that was a good one, though. But yeah, that's what the trivia said. And I was like, God fucking that's shit, man. Because I like Terry Curtis right? Fox. He, he always did, he, he approached stories with an interesting angle. But yeah, he only had three. Well, we've got Heather Ash coming back soon. So I guess we'll just replace him with her. But yeah. So uh, that is finally the end of this episode. <laughs> three hours later. <laughs> As, as, as little happens in this episode, it's important to talk about this episode. It's a secretly complicated episode. Yes, it is. It's wonderful. Love it. Um, 
But yeah, so with the episode out of the way, it's time to talk about things like the death tally, which we can just skip right on over. Daniel tries real hard. He does. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. But I'm not, so I don't. <laughs> are you a Jack or are you a Daniel for this episode? I am Daniel because Jack isn't technically in it for much. <laughs> I guess that's one way to go about it. So, um, as much as I agreed with you on the fact that, like, the whole carefully scouting to see if anyone else can see this person to avoid, like, the embarrassment side of things, as much as I 100% am that part of things, I'm gonna have to go with Jack in this episode just because I, I vibed with his childish angle this whole episode, which, again, is probably exaggerated because of the fact that it's from Daniel's yeah, point of view. Yeah. Oh, we missed the point where when he when Jack was saying goodbye to Rothman, he echoed Daniel about the I'm just intimidated by your by intelligence. Your intelligence. Yes. <laughs> Bring that dialogue back. No, there's some yeah. beautiful dialogue wraparound with this. Good writing. Yes. Just good it's writing. So good. Perfect. Mm. Amazing. But yeah, so I really vibed with how pointlessly childish she was in this episode. Just like his levels of petty are something to be aspired to. <laughs> Is it an insult if I say, yes, I could totally see that you're pointlessly childish. What? No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it first, so it's fine. But I think especially the reason I can't go with Daniel is because of the fact that it's the... Like, I appreciate the journey he takes in this episode, but I've always had an issue with... I know why people are doing this but I always have a hard time actually putting myself in characters shoes when they're dealing with an emotional loss of a person like these really dramatic like the way he just like you know Teal was dead to him like I couldn't have done that you know and just like those sort of like really exaggerated emotional responses to it I can't I can't side with Dan side's not even the right word but you know yeah, I can't, can't put resonate myself with in him. those shoes yeah. yeah resonate yeah that's a good word the example I always like to use is Captain America Civil War I got so frustrated with Tony in that movie for the fact that he knew Bucky was brainwashed and still blamed him and I had a conversation with someone who was like well you know it's it's his parents you know you don't think logically whether you know or not you're not going to think logically in that instance. And I was like, look, I get it, but I can't agree. Like, I just, my my brain doesn't allow me to, I understand that there's an emotional resonance and there's an element of not being reasonable. But, like, I can't put myself there. And so when you have, like, the whole thing where, you know, he was like, you, you should have waited a little bit longer. I was getting through to her and, and like, just, like, cutting Teal'c off. I can't. I can't say I'm Daniel in those instances. Yeah, no, I am. So. I, uh, well, I mean, you might know this of me, but to put this in a light frame of mind, I have less than stellar relationships with some people that were close to me once upon a time. Yes. With that in mind, I can fully resonate with him. Yeah. So I'm fully on and Daniel's perspective on this episode. So I don't think I need to actually ask this, but what's our Joaquin Double Phoenix thumbs up, episode? man. <laughs> this is one of those episodes that almost makes me want to grow a third thumb to give it a thumbs up, but it loses it because of that first five minutes. Honestly, fuck that first, first five, five minutes. minutes. So much slow motion. It's not like and, and also not just like we spent the last uh, three hours 
talking about how good this episode is. With a bunch of asterisks in there where I'm like, except for the first five minutes. Because holy it's God, those suck. Yeah, yeah, I It's know. a slog uh, so for five uh, minutes. I, I know those five minutes are there, but pretend those five minutes don't exist. And it's been a while since we revisited this, but I do want to present this. Can we give Deloise another Hall of Fame for director? For how well the framing for the dream sequence is. You know what, for done. that, yes, I'll give you that one. Do it. I'm saying forget the first five minutes exists. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can never know how much of that is, is writing, because like, maybe the writing says, and as soon as they're off yeah. camera, they're out of shot. Or even production yeah. notes. Who, who the fuck knows? But at this moment in time, notes. I'm totally down for it, yeah. I just always like to be extra fair, just in case this comes... Yeah, no, I'm no. like a politician. When I'm found out to be wrong, <laughs> I get embarrassed, and I go, oh, shit, yeah. oops. Well, that sucks that's on record and I'm an idiot. Good to know, at least here I can correct the record. <laughs> you know? That kind well, of thing. That's why we do, even when we, like, criticize a director or whatever, we do like to take a step back and be like, well, look, we don't know how right, much right, input the director right. had. But I, like this, to, I, I just like to be preemptively kind of like a shit, where I like to give myself lots of outs if I turn out to be wrong, <laughs> where I'm like, well, to be fair, I did say that I could be wildly wrong, and as long as I say that, then I'm never wrong. There you go. Yes, absolutely. That's how it works. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure that logic is undeniable. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, that is it for this episode. It was a delight. I We thought we were going to do two of these today. I liked oh. last week's episode. I did. I enjoyed it. But just like, Episodes like this are just why we started this podcast. I would agree with that assessment. I'm really happy uh, that we got to do it, and I hope everyone listening also got to enjoy it at least half as much as I right. enjoyed talking about no, it. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great episode. <laughs> Absolutely, it's what Stargate is. But yeah, so with that in mind, uh, next week we're going to do a hard pivot <laughs> on what the episode is like. Pivot. Pivot, which shows honestly in the director and writer, but we'll get to that next week. So, next week, we will be listening, listening, you will be listening <laughs> to us talk about season three, episode 11, past and present. It completely disregards the past of the show. <laughs> strategically. Well, it, strategically avoids it past episodes. One part of the past speaking of this should have been written by terry curtis fox yes it should have yes it should have this should have been his parting I'm ready episode to be mad watching this episode now oh, i actually explains we'll a how lot feel. about the character changes honestly when you think about it <laughs> and also the a actual writer for it yeah. considering some things oh yeah noticed about no and no it, yeah. it clicked immediately how somebody was immediately made into an innocent little angel and i'm like can you just not be like this, please, about women. Could you just not? Apparently not. Anyway. So, listeners at home have two guesses to figure out <laughs> who the writer is. The director isn't terrible from our next past, week, but the writer is. From our past <laughs> conversations, there's two possible yeah. possibilities yeah. for who it is. But, uh, well, I'll leave that as a surprise yeah. until next week. Yeah. Until then. Until then. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at itsmailnotless or our podcast Twitter at pointoforiginpc. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole, which I'm guessing is what Kasuf did to get that message to Daniel. Just, as long as you tell me it wasn't another fucking Sagan box. <laughs> I hope it was! <laughs> Oh, God. 
Oh, I love that. If it is, I will cry. I will cry tears of mercury. I'm just so happy that my joke was proven correct episodes later when they gave it to the Tokra and you're like, why? Why? I'm like, they're going to hurl it through the gate like they did before. <laughs> and I was right. And I was like, why would they do that? <laughs> they have radios. And then it turns out that just because fuck you, because fuck you, Liz, that's why. Yeah, because fuck you, Liz. <laughs> oh, on that note, you can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time.